Welcome to the fifth episode of VS to Mall 2021 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmsdown, and joining me as always is the Canadian who dreams of ghetto plasters whenever he goes to the cheese market, Logan Saunders. <laughs> Good afternoon. That is literally the one highlight of this episode, because I'm going to start it now. This was a mess. I don't know what production was thinking. I know there uh, in a lot of reality TV franchises, when they go, when they start a new twist... They, if it doesn't work out, they try it once more the following season, and then if it still doesn't work out, then it's ditched permanently. For instance, say with Survivor, when they had the the super idol rules that they introduced in season 12, it didn't really work out the way they wanted it to, so they revamped it for season 13, and it still didn't work out again, so then they pretty much have never, almost never brought that twist back again. And I feel like the twist that was introduced last season of having super teams with too many exemptions and nothing really for them all to do specifically being brought back again the following season with it being slightly altered this still really hit the episode hard it's just an utterly baffling decision and i'm gonna say now i am obviously gutted that josh went but i'm more gutted that josh went because of this bullshit twist because as you said they kind of did this with Elba last season. And if you've heard our Elba episode from last season, you'll know we weren't the biggest fans of that twist. It was pointless. It was a waste of time. The mole couldn't really do anything. It wasn't that entertaining. This is worse than Elba. Because not only does it take out an absolute star in Josh, but it does it in the worst way possible. And the most predictable way possible. I will say there is one improve- one major improvement compared to Elba. Elba took up nearly two episodes, and then there was one task, and then Peggy got executed. <laughs> At least with this, it all it, all the shittiness was confined to one episode, and then we can move on from it. <laughs> yeah, the one argument is it didn't take an episode and a half, but that is a small, small victory when you, as a price, pay Josh. Yeah, at least the Elba twist protected Nikki <laughs> for for the two eliminations, but... I'm just glad it didn't take up nearly two full episodes where it's nearly two episodes of me taking zero notes. (laughs) The other element of this is the fact that in the past four seasons now, 1920, Renaissance, and this one, they've done three stupid twists at Final Six, and all three have taken out one of the stars of the season. Because we lost Rick Paul and Jamie in the double execution, Then 20 didn't have one, although it did have stupid non-elimination twists, ridiculous amounts of them. Then last season we had the Elba episode, which obviously made us lose Ron, who was never suspicious to us, but was always entertaining for being very old. And now you have Josh losing here. It's just, it's nonsense. I don't know why they keep doing this at Final Six and trying to break our hearts. Because it works. We also lost Patrick in that. Yeah, but... Patrick was less good value than uh, than Ron most of the time. Patrick had his moments, but he was never as fun as Ron. So we get we get the same trope actually for the season where we focus on an alliance a lot, and you can't help but think, hmm, one of these two guys might be going home by the end of the episode. Yeah, I do have to admit, I did see a tweet from Josh on Saturday night after the execution had aired, just going, show Pony out, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, why? Why did I, A, have to see that, and B, why did it have to happen? 
<laughs> I've made my love of Josh on this podcast very, very unsubtle. He's brilliant. He's probably the funniest person we've had to talk about, and he loses in such a stupid way. So previously, the final seven named items in Paternoster list before taking pictures representing each other around Burno. Josh forgot to take one for Lakshmi, raising suspicion. At a wet challenge in the quarry, Charlotte so doubts, but it was Lakshmi who was sent home. And they are near the very familiar Amazing Race site of Kutnahora. Rick says the group is getting smaller, but he's going to propose a dilemma, which might mean that the person who didn't do worst on the test will go home. However, they first have to feast their eyes at the Bohemian Paradise. At first, when you see that he hints the person with the low score might not go home, you can't help but think, hmm, it's not just going to be a simple case of an exemption. Something controversial is coming. Yeah. The thing is, I know we're skipping ahead to this stupid twist already. They broke their own exemption rules with this. Because ordinarily, if, say, you had half of the uh, the people immune... Unless it was a situation like Elba, where it's literally your two teams compete, the one losing team will go into the execution. Unless you have a situation like that, then if the person who gets a red screen is exempt, everyone moves through to the next episode. That is how you fix this twist, and I would be much less angry about it, and about them spending €5,000 from the pot, if they just said, this will be a non-elimination if the person with the red screen has an exemption. And then if Josh goes home with the red screen then, you kind of go, ah, oh, well, at least he went home with the red screen and it was actually his time. Yeah, we don't know for sure if it was his time or not, but you do bring up a good point, Michael. That's how they have have been doing it for a very long time. It's just, if you have the lowest score, you get the red screen. If not, you get the green screen. That's just how they've always done it with the non-elimination episodes. But I guess they just didn't feel like doing that. <laughs> they didn't feel like enforcing it. But it just also doesn't make sense from a structural point of view. They've now got five people left and four episodes in which those people are going to be on. They got lucky, as I said last week, with having such stars go towards the end. But they've got half of the cast left and still four episodes to go. They have to have a non-elimination soon. And at this rate, it's probably going to be final four. And that's just going to stall momentum of the season. I think it's happening next week. They didn't show. They didn't even show them grouped for an execution in the preview, did they? No, I think it's probably happening next week as well. But it just doesn't make sense from a structural point of view, especially when you have such a twist that is going to be so controversial. You just put in that rule that says if the person who gets a red screen is exempt, then everyone moves through. You deal with the non-elimination, which is always an issue for them. You keep all of the stars of the season and Rocky, and you sort of temper the anger you're going to get for letting them halve the pot. Yeah, like this would be an ideal way to do a non-elimination twist. Say, yes, three people are exempt, and then as long as none of the other three people were the lowest score, then everyone advances, and that's your non-elim for the season. Makes me curious how they're going to do the non-elim next week, because I assume it's probably going to be a slightly worse format for how they do it, when this week was pretty much a gift of well, this is a perfect time to do a non-elim. Yeah, just prepare yourself now, because I was very high on this season for the first four episodes. This is making me sound like a broken record. See also Renaissance. This twist has really annoyed me. If they do something stupid next week and make it a non-elimination and don't make it as palatable as this one would have been as a non-elim, then I'm going to be very annoyed at them again. I'm going to be arguably less annoyed at them than I was after watching that episode yesterday, but that's also not saying much. 
that would be odd to pretty much have two seasons play out the same way back to back where the first few episodes are really strong then we lose our big characters due to a dumb twist that occupies the latter half of the season and then whoever's mole at the end proves to be ineffective because so far we, we still have a really really ineffective mole yeah that's the thing if it's charlotte for example i'm not sure you can reconcile that that much right now because the biggest sabotage she's done is trying to stop them winning money in the uh in the quarry challenge last week and that didn't succeed yeah the, you can't even say that she whoever is mole and say oh well during the cliff challenge I just, I hid the picture behind the bush, or I took too much time drawing so they have, nobody else has much time to guess, but that challenge was so difficult anyway, you don't really need to slant the table. Yeah, as I said to you on our group chat yesterday, when I was watching this episode, I'm already annoyed, and I've not even got up to the twist yet. <laughs> like, this first challenge was really bad. <laughs> it's by far the worst challenge they've done at this point of the season. When I when I used to host Survivor challenges, I think I'd try like a grammar based challenge once or twice, where it's more knowing how to do proper wordplay, and those always end up and and other people's Survivor games or mold games or whatever online reality games they host. Those are always the ones that are most controversial because there's so many different ways you can get answers. So there's so many more ways to screw up, and it's, it's more somebody just lucking out of the win or some weird technicality that disqualifies a, a tribe or an individual. So with this challenge, I'm thinking, wow, they have to get a very specific sentence all put together as a guess. That's going to be a very low success rate. And then yeah. sure enough, by the end of the challenge, Rick says, oh, by the way, you guys got nothing because you guys suck at painting. I'm thinking... You don't even have to suck at painting. You're you you're telling people to try and put an entire sentence together based on multiple pictures. They're probably going to get in the right ballpark. They might be off by only one word or two on some of their guesses, but because it has to be a very specific string of words, you're making it impossible. You you can't even accuse somebody of sabotaging it. Yeah. So, the episode title is Count to 3. It is day eight, and they're out drinking, toasting to Lakshmi's departure. Everyone except Battlecat seems to be drinking alcohol. Charlotte and Renee are apparently back to being roommates. And then, as you said earlier, we get a flashback to Josh and Battlecat's discussion about how hard it is to hide their secret alliance and meet up, and they have to do it in the evening. Battlecat says he doesn't trust Josh 100%, but he trusts him enough. Josh thinks Mariah will be the next to go. If she doesn't, then she knows who the mole is. And it is then day nine at the Prakov Rocks. They've had to get up at 5.45am because production obviously thought, let's find a nice location and then come up with a stupid challenge to go with it. Renee says that it feels like The Hobbit. And I love to point out the movie soundtracks that they play. Do you know what the piece of music they play under this confessional introduction to the Prakov Rocks is? No, I do not. For once, it's actually accurate. It's from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings soundtrack. Didn't know that off the top of my head. Did have to say, what song is this on my phone? It's a, a piece of music, appropriately for this episode, called The Ring Goes South. At least it matched up with the confessionals. And Rick says, at three viewing points, three duos will be standing, and they will earn money by guessing which full sentences will be passed on by everyone else drawing. A complete sentence consists of who, what, and where, 
and they can choose their own pairs this time. As Rick's friend, Battlecat has no advantage in this challenge. Renee tries to steal Charlotte despite Josh's protestations. Josh, however, wins out, and it ends up being him and Charlotte in the middle answering where Battlecat and Renee with answer on one side and who and what on the other, and Rocky and Mariah with who and what on one side and answer on the other. This is Josh's only victory for the whole episode. Yeah, this is the one point where Josh actually wins anything this episode. Sadly for him, it isn't money. It's getting to spend time with Charlotte and get paint everywhere, weirdly. Yeah, well, why was she doing, like, tribal paint on her forehead? I don't know, because by the end of it, Josh had black paint on his face as well. (laughs) They were obviously just getting really bored waiting for everyone else to do their bit and just decided to put paint on their faces. How long How long was the challenge timer? Half an hour. Half an hour, I guess. How many pictures did they have to do? Five? Twelve. <laughs> oh, each, each person did twelve individual pictures? Yep. There were six on each side. Twelve and half an hour. They drew pretty quickly. <laughs> That's the thing. The structure of this challenge is they get half an hour anyway, which is a very short challenge regardless. But then they have to paint their own twelve individual bits. And for the two teams on the outer edge... They also have to interpret everyone else's paintings in half an hour. It's a very, very tough challenge, even without the whole having to interpret everyone else's paintings bit. So they probably would have had a shot at any money if they... Yeah, because half an hour, that's that's just over two minutes per painting. That's if, if you have a really smooth routine going. No, well, not just two hours. It's, it's two minutes, just over two minutes... To draw the painting, show it, have someone interpret it. Yeah, it's two and a half minutes to draw, show, interpret, and then have that person write it down. It's an impossible challenge. There was not a chance in hell that they were earning 1,900 euros on this challenge. Even if you told me that they only had five minutes to do that for each painting, even I I would still be thinking, man, that's that's a tough one. I would say that I would, you, you would need an hour and a half to have a shot at getting any money in that challenge, I think. You'd get about seven minutes. Yeah, I think seven minutes per painting would be way more reasonable than just over two. Yeah, number one, it's a really unreasonable time limit. Number two, I don't think it's that interesting a challenge to watch. Being honest, not even an interesting challenge to talk about. I don't think it's actually that compelling. Because none of these people are artists. They're not Florentine. There's not a chance in hell they're going to be able to interpret everyone else's paintings. And you just sit there going... I know they're not going to win anything on this challenge, so why am I still watching it? I guess just to see, like, all I was waiting for was for somebody to do a couple of really goofy drawings that didn't make any sense. But even that didn't really happen too often, other than the Ghetto Blaster. (laughs) Where do you think the mole would position themselves in this sort of challenge? Does it really matter? For this challenge, probably not. (laughs) You could stop to try and be as detailed as possible so there's less time for people to interpret and they can't really think through what to guess. I guess you t- you're de- you could be try to be really detailed and also be a shitty artist. If you're a combination of the two, I guess you pretty much ensure no money goes into the pot. This was probably the toughest challenge overall they had for the season just going into it. Yeah. I'd say definitely so far, this is by far the toughest challenge. Did you ever play Simpsons Hit and Run, Michael? I did. 
it's kind of like in Simpsons Hit and Run how for 99% of the game, all the missions are quite achievable or even on the easier side. And then you have that brutal final mission that no one, that very, very few people are able to beat with the massive difficulty spike that just comes out of nowhere. That's kind of what it is like to have this challenge where the cast has done really well overall up to this point. And then they get this one challenge where it's like, yeah, I think this is a bit of a jump. Yeah, bear in mind, in the last two episodes before this, I think they only lost about a thousand euros between those two episodes. It's something ridiculous like that. It's about one or two thousand euros they've dropped in episodes three and four. And then they hit them with an absolute, not even a difficulty spike, it's a difficulty wall. There's not a chance anyone isn't running headfirst into that difficulty wall. Yeah, or another analogy would be say, okay, we're going to do a five kilometer run, and everyone just does five kilometer runs every day for two weeks. Everyone's doing well with it. It's not that tough to begin with. And then you just announce one morning, okay, now we're going to do a half marathon. Let's go. Now you're going to fly to the uh, the Sahara and do the marathon de Sable. <laughs> Any of you guys thought about doing ultra running? Because you're about to. Yeah, I mean, you, you did the five kilometer runs, and you guys just keep keep succeeding with that. So I think you're 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 ready to do the Ironman in Hawaii now. I love how this is just basically turning into one of our Amazing Race podcasts, where we're just going to bitch for the for the next half hour. <laughs> well, I mean, just think. I mean, they just designed a challenge where there is no real way to succeed, mole or no mole. I think. I think if I just had a group of regular people, and we knew that there wasn't even somebody trying to sabotage. I think we'd still have a really tough time with this. Yeah, I think regardless of your opinions on our opinions, there is no way you can argue that this challenge is anything other than really broken. Because the best mole challenges are doable. They might be difficult, but there is always the the chance that they can win. And there is always the chance that the mole can make sure they can't win. Whereas this one, there is not a chance anyone, mole or not, is going to win this challenge and get more than maybe 150 euros out of this at most. Yeah, if, if they if we get to the final reveal and they do this challenge and say how the mole sabotage and this mole's like, yeah, I got you, I got you. And this one's like, no, you didn't have to do shit in this challenge. Really, you were going to lose anyway. <laughs> I honestly don't think it matters where the mole was in this challenge because if you're on one of the outer teams, you can write stuff down wrong. You can go with your partner misinterpreting things. You can paint badly. You can paint for too long. If you're in the middle, you are the middle bit of Chinese whispers, basically. So you can just accidentally interpret something wrong. I don't think it matters where the mole was. And that is not a good thing for me to have to say about any mole challenge. The mole should always have a defined position where it is advantageous for them to go. And whether they go there or not is a completely different story. But there always should be an obvious place where the mole would want to position themselves in this sort of a challenge, I would say. So obviously on their paintings they can't draw any letters because that would be too obvious, which is essentially what I do when I play Pictionary, I'm not going to lie. Josh sees Rocky and Mariah's first painting and thinks that the who is him, and it's actually Remco acting. The second sentence that they have to interpret is, Eric lies at the dentist. And anyone with an answer card can fill in the blanks on their sheets for either €300, €150, or €25. Charlotte draws their first person as a stick figure, rather than actually realising you have to say who it is as well. And they interpret it, somehow, as Mariah sings on the roller coaster. 
when it's actually Remco X on the roller coaster. Battlecat and Renee decide to put theirs behind a tree. Josh and Charlotte interpret it as Battlecat drinks beer. And I don't think we've actually seen Battlecat drink any alcohol this season. He was quite notably drinking tea or coffee this episode. Yeah, I guess he's just not a drinker. Charlotte draws a terrible tooth and she pulls it away quickly. The third one is Eric sleeps at the cheese market and Josh interprets it in his own inimitable style as Battlecat is dreaming of a ghetto blaster at the cheese market. I wish they would have given them like a word bank. I think that's a way you can make this challenge a bit more achievable. I like have like bold, I guess, but there's it's it's kind of like because this challenge is a bit of a remix of the. You have three people. Two of them are drawing pictures, and then only one person gets to look at the pictures and tells them how to draw the two pictures. And then you have the one person who grabs the two pictures and then matches them up with a bank of 50 pictures on the wall, and you got to match the two up correctly. I think you got to do something similar with this challenge, where it's got to be some sort of word bank or answer bank for the teams to match it up to. I don't think there is any argument you can make that production didn't want them to fail at this challenge. Yeah, this challenge was more just to create conflict or bitterness amongst the six people. Yeah, and then leads into the most bullshit twist that they've done in a long while. So, Renee and Battlecat interpret Battlecat is dreaming of a ghetto blaster at the cheese market as Renee dreams in bed at the cheese market for €25. The fourth one is interpreted as a football swims in the sauna by Josh and Charlotte, so I'm assuming it was meant to be uh, Rocky swims in the sauna, and Charlotte decides to draw a boob for some reason. Battlecat has to draw Lakshmi moles, and Mariah interprets that as Charlotte swims in the toilets, of course. Josh and Charlotte seem to work out Charlotte Absales and then find out that they have to draw the Kirkenhof, which, if you've done a quick Google like I have, is one of the world's largest flower gardens. And thankfully for us, they resist drawing Asian tourists. And at the end, they passed on five sentences, none of which were correct, obviously, and Rick tells them to prepare for an explosive afternoon. And then they go out for lunch and talk about how big a failure they were. Yeah, they don't feel like bunnies anymore. So the second challenge is called Provide Security and has no money involved whatsoever. And I already have the note, this is going to annoy me. Hmm, I was right. Because last week we predicted, as soon as we saw in the um, in the preview, Rick say the phrase, I'm going to make you an offer for information. I go, oh my god, they're going to spend so much money out of this pot. It's going to be annoying. It's going to ruin the season's momentum. And I wasn't wrong, annoyingly. So Rick meets them in an office individually. He asks them questions about how they're feeling about being halfway through the game. He gives them an offer, knowledge about the next assignment, where three candidates, the smartest and fastest ones, can earn themselves exemptions. It means that of the other three, one will go, and it may not be the person who did worst on the test. They have to bid using money from the pot for the knowledge, it goes to the highest bidder, and that person and two others of their choosing will be the ones to play for the exemptions. What would you do if you were in this position, as contestant or mole? Well, on one hand, if you're aware of what everyone else is being, then you could just say, well, I'll just say, I'll just match the highest bid, considering three people said 5,000, so you got to figure, well, maybe the mole just tagged along with the other two, or you already know everyone else bid 5,000, so then you just go a lot lower. Yeah, I think it's fair to assume the mole was probably the last person to go in the room, regardless of whether we saw them last or not, because... Production would tell them how much they need to bid, 
And I think it probably changed plans that two people potentially by that point had bid 5,000 euros. Because if two people have bid 5,000 euros, the mole has to get themselves in that knowledge group and try and get those exemptions. Because they don't want to be obviously leading their group through. So I think it is increasingly likely the mole was in that five grand group. That's the way I'm kind of leaning after this week. I think the mole probably ideally wanted to not be the highest bidder, because if the mole was the highest bidder, it obviously draws attention to them. But if they went in there, got told all the bids, and found out two people had already bid 5,000, they have to bid 5,000. Because otherwise, what's the tiebreaker going to be, and will the other two people actually pick them? Maybe not. Right. Not to mention, it just looks terrible if they were in the the non-exempt group, and then you're just making it a 50-50 coin flip for the other two people to go home. I mean, one in three shot is already bad enough for someone to go home. But to go into the smaller group and make it so the person has a 50-50 shot of being executed, granted that's what happened last season. (laughs) In fact, it was worse. (laughs) I was going to say, bear in mind with Elba, we had the position where the mole didn't want their group to... um to be the only ones taking the execution. The mole failed in their job to keep their group from being the only ones in the execution, and then ended up giving those people a two-in-three chance of getting executed. Yeah, this was better odds than Elba for being saved. Yeah. So Charlotte bids half the pot and then settles on 5,000 euros. Rocky bids 5,000. Mariah bids 5,000. Josh bids 500. Battlecat bids 600. And Renee bids 1,000. And Rocky does something very out of character here, because if you cast your mind back to the Absailing Challenge, she forced her team to not take four exemptions, and instead go for €2,000 for the pot. And here she is, spending €5,000 for three exemptions, none of which are guaranteed. I think it's sort of horseshit. I'll be honest, I think it's horseshit that production put them in this position to be able to do this challenge. I think it's horseshit that anyone got tempted and bid half of the pot for a one-in-two chance at the exemptions. Regardless of whether you have the information or not, you've got an equal chance of getting those exemptions. It makes you wonder just how three people all managed to all, well, maybe two, only two people really, if how two people both came up with that same 5,000 euro number. <laughs> yeah. What it made me think of was, I don't know how much of uh, Mole Australia 6 you've actually seen, but there was quite an infamous Next Time trailer, which went before the the challenge where they had an auction to bid on advantages using money from the pot, very similar to this. And the quote I can always remember from this is, what on earth is worth $70,000? The answer was an exemption for the next three tests. These people bid a similar percentage of their pot on the chance of an exemption for one test. I will say, though, it's not really a chance. They made it pretty clear that they were going to have a big advantage for this challenge. Oh yeah, the table was tilted, but it was still incredibly possible for the other team to win those exemptions. Yeah, like, but I mean, it was just like, it wasn't, say, a chance, it was... A near certainty. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it was probably about 60-70% chance that they were going to win. Yeah, I put. I was thinking going into it, maybe 70-30, 80-20. Yeah, 
yeah, they they didn't have a guaranteed win. Whereas someone did bid a similar percentage of the pot in Mole Australia 6 for basically three consecutive exemptions. It is also coincidentally the record for most money lost in a single challenge in Mole, given that they, between them, bid $125,000. <laughs> they went from, I think it was $134,000 to $9,000 in one challenge. That was the final season of Mole Australia? Yeah, coincidentally. <laughs> yeah. At least they didn't break the budget on it. But yeah, it's a bummer that's like, oh, this pot is building and building. It's just a fun season in a dark time worldwide. And then it's like, no, actually, no, you're 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 down even lower than what the previous seasons have been at this point. Yeah, that's the thing. As much as I don't want to be like, oh, this season was so great and now it's shit. It's like they got a good thing going for the first four episodes, more so than Renaissance. Because I went into the season being like, mm, I got my hopes up for Renaissance, it was alright. Had a stupid ending, obviously. This season won me over, and then they snatched the rug away with this stupid twist. And I don't think anyone in the fan community likes this twist. That's that's the other thing. I think they've got a lot of grief since this aired on Saturday. From a lot of disgruntled people, myself included, going, what the hell are you playing at, guys? You've not only done a stupid twist, but you've done a stupid twist and then shot yourselves in the foot by not keeping Josh for another week. Imagine if Renee was the mole and that Josh and... and... Battlecat. <laughs> Who was that from? <laughs> I can't remember what Battlecat's from. I've got a long list of these cartoon sidekicks. Where is he? Yeah, where is he from? Let me see, where's Battlecat from? Oh, it's He-Man. He-Man Masters of the Universe. It's Cringer's um, code name. <laughs> well, I I learned something new today. Before the season, I, I got a long list of the uh, cartoon sidekicks just on the off chance that he survives till the end of the season. <laughs> and just, but just think, though, if Josh and Splinter had the two highest scores on the test and Renee was the mole, that would make the situation just awful. <laughs> because it's very, possi- it's very possible that Renee could be the mole and that Josh and Splinter did have the two highest scores. And the other three who all got exempt all picked Josh as the mole for the most part. It's going to be very interesting at the reunion in, what, five weeks, is it now? Something like that. It's going to be very interesting to see whether they answer the question of whether Josh still would have gone home here. Well, this production's too scared to answer it. They usually do solve those mysteries. But if Josh wasn't meant to go home here, and it was meant to be one of the three girls who got exemptions out of this, I think I will be more annoyed that they screwed Josh this way. Well, yeah, because... Yeah, especially if you've got, like, the second highest score on the test out of five people. That would be pretty infuriating. (laughs) It's like, what more could he have done? If they were on the right mole, and then Josh got shanked as a result of it, let's be honest, Battlecat wins the season. But it's going to be so frustrating. Well, just think, because neither of them wanted to spend any money out of the pot. So the other inclination is, hmm, Josh and Splinter are pretty confident about who they both think the mole is. And then it's like, so it's like, well, we don't want to bid any money because we're going to be the one, one of us will be the ones who take home the grand prize at the end. And then you have three people who aren't confident on who the mole is and probably don't know who the mole is. Of course, they're going to be the ones who are going to be penalizing the people who are doing well by bidding higher because they know, well, good chance I'll be executed if I'm not one of the winning three. So there's a very, it's very possible that that's the way this challenge played out where 
the net the bottom three scores were all one of them was supposed to go home but instead they all get saved and five thousand half the pot you can't say five thousand euros because dutch mall has a much smaller final prize but the fact that they took out 50 percent of the pot that was built as of over halfway into the season it's just nuts <laughs> do you think our opinion on this twist changes if josh was still meant to go home I was going to say, people are going to be listening to this thinking, oh, they're just, especially if it was CNN or something, CNN would probably be listening to this and thinking, no, oh, they're just bitter because Josh, Josh, Josh went home. If Josh didn't go home, they would think it was just an okay twist. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully admit I am bitter that Josh went home as a result of this twist. I think I still am angry at the twist if Josh still would have gone home, but I think it is a little bit more palatable if Josh still would have gone home. Let's put it this way. Nikki and Tigo were both saved by an identical twist last season, almost identical twist, and we still said that was the worst mole episode the, the worst mole episodes ever. <laughs> so I don't think you can say it's a bitterness about Josh going home. That makes us think this was a terrible twist, because we had our ideal characters be saved last season and we were still really, really pissed off about it. Yeah, I think it I think it changes the interpretation of this twist if Josh still goes home. But I don't think we we get on board with it regardless, because it is a on paper and in practice a really, really stupid twist, and they should have never gone anywhere near it, especially after what happened with Elba. And especially with the gambling that the mole isn't gonna be in the losing team. Because as a bit of context, the Elba episode hadn't aired by the time that this one filmed. But they still knew that the mole was in the losing team and that they'd screwed the odds for the other three people. Oh, so Elba hadn't even aired yet when they filmed this. Elba was about the first week of October, I think, if I remember rightly. It was about the 5th of October we did our recap for it. So that changes, that makes them look not as stupid in production, thinking, oh, maybe the Elba twist will go over well, let's try it again. But now they're, it's going to be viewed as... I assume the Elba episodes last season got really bad reactions. Oh yeah, everyone hated them. Yeah, so I assume this is going to be the end of this twist. I would hope so. But then again, everyone hated the double execution twist because it got rid of Rick, Paul, and Jamie. And they still did something very similar for Renaissance. And very stupid for Renaissance. Yeah, but it's a bit different when half the people are getting exempt. <laughs> And you're forcing red screens. Yeah, I think if they do anything like this again, then we really have an argument for screaming at producers in their faces. So they do have to spend the night separate in their teams and then are driven to the uh, to the location for the third challenge. However, first they have to do the test. Also notice that this is one of the rare mole episodes where we do not hear a it's now time for the test, 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole, the person who does worst goes home, apart from the mole who can never go home. We don't hear any of that from Rick. He doesn't do any introduction to the test whatsoever, which is very interesting. I've still got it in my uh, in my notes because I'm me, but they don't actually say it in the episode, which is very rare for mole. Also very rare for Dutch mole, at least, is they all have to do the test in the same room, which makes it like a Belgian finale. Yeah, they we get to see the order in which they all leave the room, which is quite odd, too. At least the host didn't say if it was a tie or not, because that would really screw somebody over. So Josh says he hasn't written anything down, as he didn't expect an early test. Rookie move, Josh. 
Rocky says that Josh has been high on her list since the beginning, but her gut feeling is that it's Renee now, and she has to start making choices. Charlotte has suspected Josh on and off for a little bit. She still goes on him, Battlecat, and Mariah, aka my team. Mariah says that Charlotte is a suspect, so she does every assignment wrong, and she can't understand why, even though she's really intelligent. Josh is also a suspect, either it's him or the mole succeeding because of Josh. Josh says that the test feels different from the others, he's not been noticing or studying for details. For the first time, he's uncertain on this test. Battlecat says that Renee could be the mole, she's very calculating, there are enough clues to prove it's her, but you do have to be wary of tunnel vision. Renee is still on Josh, but also on Mariah and Charlotte. The third challenge takes place on a moving train, they've got half an hour until they reach Rick. There is up to €1,800 for the part available, that is on a money clock next to the three exemptions. The team that wins has to stop the money clock to earn any money for the pot. The first mini challenge is to find train tickets in suitcases in the carriage and plot a route from Molesburg to Prague and count the amounts on the tickets. I will also say, Molesburg is a real place. I did Google it. <laughs> Paris, Munich and Vienna are the three stopover places that they need to find them for. Josh drops the tickets everywhere when he brings the suitcase down. Battlecats miss the original introduction on the wall. The money clock is counting down roughly a euro per second which does mean that by the time they reach Rick, it will be at zero. Josh spots an instruction in the first compartment for the final compartment's lock, which is to grab the codes from post bags hanging while they're on the train. Obviously, the team with prior knowledge take the lead. In the second compartment, they've got to find the seven wrong clocks from a board of 15 using riddles and correct them to, to spell out the code for the next room on the clocks. Once all the clocks are correct, the hands will spell out the numbers that they need to put in, which is zero to one. The girls take the lead again. Then they get to the point, which is about 10 minutes before the end, where they can grab the post bags, which means that they were never going to win more than about maybe 800 euros on this challenge. Josh drops a post bag by the side of the train when he stabs it, while Mariah grabs one. Josh drops the second one. The girls get the key and claim the exemptions, while the clock is at 850 euros. However, they do forget to stop the money clock for another 100 euros. Or roughly somewhere between about a minute and a half and two more minutes. That means that they earned 750 euros of a possible 1800 for the challenge, although it wasn't possible at all, minus 4,250 out of 3,700 for the episode, and 6,245 of a not-at-all-possible 24,050 for the season so far. I have really no comment on the challenge. <laughs> Neither do I. That's why I rattled through it. <laughs> yeah, I would. All I would say for it is definitely a mole action with not getting the hundred euros banked. That was a very moly action. And the losing three also reached the execution point, finding out that the winning three spent five thousand euros. Yeah, they're gonna find out till they get seated in the chairs, ready to face the red screen. That's so brutal. Well, the person who's executed is like, well, I guess I wasn't going to win that much money anyway. <laughs> if the pot's only at 6,000 euros, it's not going to build that much more by the end of the season. No, they'll be lucky to stop 10 again now, I think. Yeah. That's why they were so baffled that the three people put in 5,000 euros, because they're thinking, well, okay, you're going to win the season, but just think of all the time you just took off work to do this. <laughs> <laughs> is it really worth it at this point? Josh probably actually needs it because he can't tour. <laughs> the rest of you can still at least work. Yeah, no wonder Josh was trying so hard to win this thing. 
I mean, it's not quite as high as stakes as, say, Tigo winning a season because then he doesn't have to live under a bridge anymore. But still, though. It's still high enough. It's still, yes, high enough. <laughs> so Renee gets a green screen before Josh gets the dreaded red one. I'm going to be very interested how this place... We have four more rounds left with this group of five. So I'm very interested if they can still carry the season in terms of entertainment value or not. It's a major loss for the season, regardless of your thoughts on Josh. He was by far the most entertaining person in this cast. He was by far the most entertaining person in this final six. It's a real shame. Not just because I really wanted to see Josh try and get to the end. I just wanted to see Josh in the finale, realising how wrong he was. And I'm sure people are going to want us to mention this, but... If Splinter goes home next round, we do have a Final Four of all women. Yeah, that would be... Would it be the first time a Final Four of all women? I know there's been a Final Three of all women. Has there been a Final Four of any of all the same gender? I don't think there's been a Final Four of all women. I may be wrong on that. We'll just think of how ridiculous the odds would have to be. Yeah. Yeah, it would be the first all-female Final Four, I think. Have we had an all... Male final three or all male final four? We've had an all male final three because that was Mexico. Right, Mexico. But in terms of Vidum, I don't think we have. Definitely not a final four. We'll just think of how low the odds would be. Because it's typically a 10 person cast, right? And you have five of each gender. One of the five is the mole, which means now four out of the other nine are, are the regular players. So only one of them can be executed over a period of six rounds. Yeah, you can only lose one person of one gender over six eliminations in order to fulfill that final four. So the odds are really, really low. Yeah, so it would be very interesting if it is an all-female final four. It would obviously be gutting for me because he's on my team. But yeah, I'm reasonably confident the mole is female, put it that way. Well, of course, because there's only one man left. So next time, everyone lies and cheats, they all get lots up, and then after the stupid shit this week, they all try and eliminate each other. So, who do you suspect? Mariah just really is like... It's full-on tunnel busy on Mariah. Mm. I'm in the same boat. Loads of people are going, no, it can't be Mariah, and I'm like, but so much adds up for her. It's just a pure gut feeling that it has got to be her right now. Because A, she bid the 5,000, and B... The only real moly action was missing out on the 100 euros on the train. So it's like, well, she was in that group of three. Sure as hell can't be Charlotte with that whole stunt last week. (laughs) You'd hope not. But I am not saying those infamous words, oh, it definitely can't be that person anymore because of what happened last season and how gutted I was. (laughs) And then you got Rocky, who's this 5000 bid was really out of character for her. Yeah, especially after her being very, very, you do not take this money, I will cock-block you if I need to on this. You do not take anything other than the money on the upsell. Yeah, and then, so now it's thinking, hmm, I don't really have a number two suspect except Rocky out of nowhere now? Just because I was so stumped by her, because that 5,000 euro bid was just so, huh? What? Why? Why is she doing that? After she's responsible for putting 5,000 euros single-handedly into the pot. <laughs> My top two, I think, 
is definitely Mariah in number one. And then I'm going to have to go Charlotte this week, purely because I feel like the mole was probably in that winning group. And I can't see it being Rocky, even though she did that really out-of-character stuff. She's done so much non moldy stuff in the first four episodes that one example of a bit of a mole action makes me go, if it's her, then they've really dropped a bollock on this one. But I just can't see it being her right now. Yeah, I'm only I'm I don't really have a number two suspect. It's just I gotta put Rocky in that second slot just to make sense of what the hell she did this week. Just kind of by default. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh what? Just cause that just dumped me and like no there's not too many times where I'm halfway into a season and a and a character does something that completely throws me off. Can you think of a time, Michael, where I've been like, What? Why did that person do that over halfway into a season? I don't get I don't get surprised too often. No, I can't think of that. But I think my my overwhelming reaction when I watched this episode yesterday was just one of bafflement. I was so confused by so much in this episode, and so confused as to how production could do something so stupid and not expect it to have a terrible outcome. Like the best outcome on paper for that sort of a twist is Rocky going because she is by far the least entertaining person in the final six. The worst outcome is Josh going. And the even worse outcome is it being Josh, Battlecat, and Renee as the bottom three there. And that is exactly what happened. I don't think they could have done a worse trio for the losers there. So final bits of housekeeping with Josh going home. My team's now Mariah and Battlecat. Michelle's is still Charlotte, Renee, and Rocky. Obviously, Logan's got eliminated last week. In the first suspicions list, five people, Walter, Matt, Carl, Logan and Kim had Josh in last place. No one had him as the first suspect, which means we are now guaranteed to have someone be correct on the first suspect. Because the two people who didn't have first suspects were Lakshmi and Josh, and they've now gone. Two people, Walter and Kim, have both of their bottom two suspects out. There are six people who next week could have their bottom three out, and three people who could have their bottom four out. Two people, Walter and Matt, could have their bottom five out, and Matt has the first five out in his bottom six. So next week, if his person goes home, I think it was Battlecat that was his bottom person left, if Battlecat goes home next week, then Matt has his bottom six out, which is very impressive as a guessing game. Only Mariah and Charlotte, sounding like a broken record here, only Mariah and Charlotte are now more suspicious to us as a group, than the group as a whole. The order is Mariah at 2.08 out of 5, Renee at 2.75, Battlecat 3.33, Charlotte and Rocky both on 3.42, with Charlotte ahead because we have her at 3.07 and Rocky at 3.67. Do you think anyone's going next week? I think it's a non-elim... It's not going to be as many non-eliminations as Amazing Race Australia, but I do think there will be a non-elim next week. Jesus Christ, please don't let there be 12 non-eliminations in this season. (laughs) you imagine at final three wait till final three and then use up 12 non-eliminations with mariah charlotte and rocky (laughs) what i really want to happen on amazing race australia 5 is them do a non-elimination at final three it would be so brilliant they probably will odds are they will be doing that because then you have the next leg which has to be an elimination leg with the other two teams one having an advantage one having a disadvantage (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I forget. Didn't think about that. It'd be just such a mess. 
So anyway, if production somehow are listening, please never do this sort of a twist again, because you will just incur my ire. You're very lucky I didn't record this the evening of me watching it, because Logan asked if we could delay it by 24 hours, and it's probably a good thing we did. Please never do this twist again. Please cast Josh again when you next do a Renaissance season, and please make that actually good. And please don't annoy me next week. Yeah, the twist was bullshit. Yeah, essentially the twist was bullshit. Anything else to say, Saunders? No, I think we should end it on that note. Thank you for listening to our Views Tomorrow 2021 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new small in Czechia. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RCV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsbukwaki. I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you to Marika as always for the subtitles. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. <laughs>